Okay, everybody, good to see you. Um, sorry, I just got to start on time because I got a I got a mishmar down at the seminary about half an hour, so I want to we got to get this going. Um, but uh, that being said, the Parsha Shmos, obviously, you know, you guys are, are familiar that the whole Egypt story begins. But just to recap, as we always do, right beneath Israel, go down to Mitzrayim. Uh, they're enslaved, right? Obviously, almost immediately, uh, and almost without interlude, we we shift to Paro. Uh, telling the midwives to to kill the baby boys, uh, they refuse. Right and then, the, you know, Moshe is born. The whole saga with him in the river, Basparo, Miriam, Yochavet, etc. Uh, Moshe grows up in in Paro's house. He kills a Mitzri. Right, runs away to Midian, marries Zipporah. Right, already Chazal the Medrash pointed out that we skip like sixty years of Moshe's life uh, that the Torah does not record, uh, which is a story for another time. If you look at Midrashim, right, he ran away into. Uh, he ran away to Kush, and he had this whole fight with Bilam. Again, you can check the Midrashim. It's a very super cool story over there. Uh, obviously, the burning bush, the majority, actually, of the Parsha, underratedly, the majority of the Parsha is a long conversation between Moshe and the Gosh Baruch Hu at the burning bush. Uh, Moshe goes back to Mitzrayim. Aaron meets him. They go to Paro. Right? Obviously, Paro is not interested in what Moshe has to say. Uh, you know, he increases the worst workload for Am Yisrael. Uh, you know, everybody gets upset. Moshe complains. Right? And uh, the parsha ends with Hashem saying, "Just you wait. Everything's going to go down. Like I want it to go down. Don't worry. Uh, you know, I'll take care of everything." Um, and obviously, you know, with much suspense leading into next week. So obviously, tons to talk about. We're just going to, you know, make a couple of quick points over here that uh, pertain to us and Musr and growth and, and, and spirituality. So the Orchayim points out right away, if, if you notice the beginning of the first few psukim, right, the Torah highlights right, that the Mitzrim did not enslave the Jews right, until Vayamos Yosef V'cholachav V'choladorahu. Right, the Pesach says, right, again, it, it re-tells us, tells us again right, that, um, you know, that Yosef and his brothers died. Right, we, learned that the end, we had that at the end of Sefer Bracious. Uh, but the Mitzrim didn't enslave the Jews until the brothers uh, and Yosef died. And the Archaim says that was a result of two things. First of all, uh, when Yosef died and the brothers died, right, the Jews re- almost lowered themselves in, in their own eyes uh, when you know, the brothers died. Right? Again, when a prince dies, when a king dies, right? the, king, you know, the, the nation feels a sense of loss. Right? Right, when the Queen of England passed away, it's right. All of England was torn into mourning. Right, it's uh, the nation doesn't feel so good about themselves. So the Jews, it says the Orachim, I'm not sure where he gets this from. Probably based on the Pesukim, but he said that the Jews felt less. They felt less in their eyes. That they felt of themselves, I meaning because they, their their princes were gone. That generation was dying out, and they felt like they hadn't attained uh, the same greatness. And two. Right, that uh, the Mitzrim, uh, and and therefore the Mitzrim really reacted right, to the Jews' Jewish view of themselves. Right, once they were lower in their own eyes, the Mitzrim were able to subjugate them. So Rav Chaim points out twofold that that two things are happening over here in this Orachayim. That first of all, the Rishayim, the, the Rishayim, the Mitzrim were obviously tremendous Rishayim, but notice the kavod they would give the brothers. That first of all, they would give the they wouldn't dare subjugate the Jews when Yosef. And the brothers in that generation were still alive, right? They still had tremendous amount of karsatov, right? For the fact that Yosef had saved them during the times of famine, right? And they and they they couldn't bring themselves to subjugate the Jews, right? Until that generation had died. That's a and b and b when the Jews were chashuv in their own eyes when they we were 
when they had those people with them, when they were uh, having a, a you know f- thought well about themselves, right, the mitzvah couldn't touch them. But once the generation died out, so then the mitzvah were able uh, to kind of poke holes and start lowering them, right? Again, that, we see if you ever go to a Holocaust museum, right, you see the images of how the Nazis right drop the Jews to become subhuman, right? They pictures of them, uh, propaganda, and them with you know long noses and rat tails and and all these types of things, right, to make them almost seem animalistic, seem less than human. So that says Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, and says Rav Chaim, that the Jews kind of started that a little bit, right? They thought of themselves a little bit less, uh, and therefore uh, that kind of led things to, to the Mitzrayim thinking about them less, and then uh, subjugating them and, uh, and, you know, and, as things went on. Um, now, and two unbelievable Muslims that Rav Chaim brings out. First of all, think about that. As bad as the Mitzrayim were, right? And they, they enslaved the Jews of 200 years, Deserved all the punishments. Gosh, Baruch sent tons of supernatural makos and killed them all in Yansuf. Right, as bad as they were, they were still mechabed the brothers and the generation. Right, and just we have so much trouble. Right? Again, speaking about myself, yeah, giving our rebbeim, our teachers, our parents, our gedolim, proper kavod. Right, we we have such trouble now. This generation, myself, the previous generation, we have so much trouble with kavod. Right? And yet, these Rishayim wouldn't dare touch the Jews right, until the people who they revered right, passed away. And again, so it brings, brings to mind how Esau, Pazik says that Esau wanted to kill Yaakov, but he couldn't bear to do it while his father was still alive. Right? The Pazik says, right, Esau said to himself, he will wait till Yaakov dies, right, and then uh, uh, he'll wait till Yitzchak dies, and then I'll kill Yaakov. Right? Again, the, the, there was a, a basic sense of kavod that I think many of us, myself certainly included, uh, do not have. Uh, and it's something that really needs to be thought about because, you know, if we don't honor the previous generation and the Gdolim and our teachers and the people who have done amazing things for us, so who are we really, you know, who are we, we going to honor? There's no one else. There's no one else. The, the people that took care of us and, and, you know, and raised us and, and are responsible for our spiritual growth and, and physical well-being, right? those are the person, people that require our kavod, uh, and deserve our kavod. And if we can't bring ourselves to mechabidam, so then you know we're going to live very selfish lives, uh, indeed. But I think a little bit more relevant f- uh, for us, and certainly uh, nowadays for for kids in this generation, and, and really when I was growing up also, right, is says Rav Chaim, when a person realizes their own greatness, and this is what most of his drasha is about over there in Sichos Moser, when a person realizes their own greatness, that can protect them from sin. When, when a person realizes that they are an amazing human being, they are, um, they are great, that they have a chilek elukamimal, an ashama, right, a peace of God, right, they realize that they can affect worlds with their behavior, right, they have a sense of ability and responsibility, and they feel a responsibility to act appropriately, right, this is the Nefesh HaChaim in, in a nutshell, right, the beginning of Nefesh HaChaim, right, that, that basically it's Kabbalah 101, why is he saying this to the masses, why is he teaching this in the form of a Muslim Sefer, because it says that when a person reads what a person can do with his actions, right, their upper worlds and lower worlds and all this type of spiritual stuff, you realize that you are a superhero, with the ability to change worlds with your actions. And the purpose of Nefesh is to hopefully drive someone to build worlds, right, instead of destroying them. But, okay, but that's the idea. And, and Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, right, just to switch between Rav Chaim's here, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz brings lots of examples, right? One of them is the Medrash explains that Yosef, when he was pressured by Eishas by Potiphar, right, the Pesach says, How can I do this terrible thing? I, and I will sing to a, sing with a Kodesh Now there are a lot of Mamari Chazal on that 
in that statement. Uh, it says, Chaim uh, Shmulevitz, since Yosef realized he was the most beloved of his father's sons, and again, the measure says a couple a couple of things that Yosef thought, but one of them was, "I'm the most beloved of Yaakov, of Yaakov my father's sons. If I'm going to do this sin, what what is that going to what is that going to mean? What is that going to do? I'm the greatest." He felt he held, and he was right uh, that he was destined to be the Melech. So if he does this sin, what what is that going to do? I'm going to be Tommy. Right? He really he saw that the measure said that Yosef saw that Reuven blew his chance at the Bechora and the Kahuna, the kingship. Uh, because of this issue, right? Because he, whatever you mean, whatever, however you understand the puzzle, when it says, Vayelach Ruvain, Vayishkavis Bilha, Ishisaviv, that Ruvain went and, and was with Yaakov's wife Bilha, so what is that, whatever that means? Okay, Pashtas says he moved to their bed, but Tachas Ruvain blew it, he lost it because of that, right? Pachas Kamayim, right? He's, he's impetuous, he couldn't be the king. So Yosef saw that and said, How could I do the same thing, right? I'm the most beloved. He understood his greatness, and because of that, right, he couldn't. Bring himself uh, to sin. Uh, now, again, naturally, there are other Midrashim that discuss how Yosef avoided that sin, right? He saw his father's face, right? but that works hand in hand with this Midrash, meaning he saw his father's face and he realized how important he was in his father's eyes, in his father's house, etc. Um, now, in our, turning to our Parsha, right, you have another representation of this idea. You have another uh, you know, idea that you see later by the burning bush, by the, by the, by the Sneh, when when Moshe went uh, obviously in the burning bush, Pesach says Vayar Malach Hashem Elav Belavas Eish or probably Vayira, right? Hashem Malach Hashem appeared to him in a fire. Mitochasne, right? Vayar Vinei Asne Boer Boish Vasne Anenuchal, right? Moshe sees right the the Sne is burning, right, and it is not being consumed. Vayomer Moshe Asur Anav Eres Hamarei Agadol Azeh. Moshe says to himself, Wow, this is crazy. Let me go see what's going on over here. Why is Right, the bush not being consumed, and then finally, right, he goes and finally, you know, Baruch Hu says to him, "Al tikrav halom, vayomer al tikrav halom, don't come any closer. Shall na lecha me'al raglecha, take off your shoes, ki hamakom asher ato made a love ad maskodeshu, because the place you're standing, right, is holy ground." And this is a famous question that everybody deals with: What does the burning bush represent? Right, Kosh Baruch Hu could have appeared to Moshe in any form or fashion. So, what was the imagery of the burning bush? Right, that would be consumed. So in Siva Shalom, right, the Slonim Mareva brings a beautiful explanation. He says that the bush represented Amisro, and the fires surrounding it were the impurity right, and the enslavement of the Egyptian culture. Uh, and Moshe saw this vision, and his Shiloh was, right, he felt the need to look deeper. He said, why is the bush not being burned? Meaning, how is Bnei Yisrael surviving this Golis, right? And what's the chus? Is the bush? Is Bnei Israel? Is the tree? Right? It's Chaimi. Right? What? What? In what zechus is Bnei Israel still alive spiritually? Right? How is it possible that Bnei Israel has been avoiding right the the powerful fires of you know Egyptian culture and influence, etc.? And Kosh Baruch answered him right for the the place at which you stand is holy ground. Right? The Admas Kodeshu. The place you're standing. Take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. Meaning. The Jewish people have a chelik elokamimal, right? The, the Jewish people have a piece of a kosh baruchu rooted inside of them. That's an neshama, right? That's where their strength uh, to survive comes from, right? The holy ground that they stand upon, right? The holy soul is in their body. They have holy ground, right? They're, they're a piece of they're a piece of ground and they're a piece of shemayim, right? There's also a, they have a neshama, and their body gives them the, the ability to withstand the fire. Uh, fire of Mitzrayim, because they realize that they they have a chelik right? They are a prince and princesses, and that's how they are able to overcome. 
right? And that's how they survived the Mitzri culture, and that's how we can survive it nowadays as well. Because you know, even though we have you know tremendous pressure from everywhere, right? From uh, maybe friends or college or work or whatever it is, uh, it's certainly society, everything that we see, right? We still have a chelik elukovimal. Right, and uh, we have a piece. Of, I mean, literally, we have a piece of God inside of us. Right, we don't probably don't talk about that often enough. We you literally have a piece of a Baruchu, right, inside of us right, that Kash Baruchu gave us. So we have that ability to accomplish so so much. Right now, we just uh, need the courage, uh, the courage to do it. Now, just as beautiful as that explanation is, I thought perhaps again another muster from this kind of idea, uh, from this uh, from the burning bush. I thought we could answer the Nesiva Shalom's question and slightly differently. Right, I heard once an amazing shmuz from Moshe Weinberger, right, Rav Nesh Kodesh. Right, he told the story about a Hasidic Rebbe. Right, he's obviously having a fabrengen or whatever, and after all the introductory lachayims, the Rebbe. The Rebbe went around the table and he asked the following kasha. Right? He said, all right, everybody, I want you to tell me, what is the holiest place in the world? What's the holiest place in the world? So as you can imagine, the answers were predictable, right? right? Ranging from Eretz Yisrael to Yushalayim to the Harabayas, Kodesh Kodashim, right? Shul, uh, I don't know, someone probably screamed out Uman or something, well, whatever. Except that the Rebbe said, that's not correct. And he said, for each and every person, the holiest place in the world is the ground that they're standing on right now. Right, and then he quoted our pasuk, right? What you're standing on right now, that's the holiest ground in the world, because people very often fail to live in the present, right? We 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 inevitably people are either living in the past or living in the future, right? They're either remembering what happened in the past or they're thinking about right, what's coming. But very few people lives their li- live their lives as it is happening. And explain the Rebbe, right? That's the most crucial thing. That's the most crucial thing in life. Right, if a person can be wholly involved in the moment, and in the place, in every scenario, in every situation that they're sitting in, right, that's the holiest place for them. Right, and again, that's the and they quoted that pasuk, right? Right, and that has to be our attitude. And that's perhaps what Akosh Baruch Hu answered. What he meant when he answered Moshe's question. Moshe said, "Well, I, why? Let me turn and see why now. Why is this bush not being burned?" How are the Jews surviving? How are they standing in the fires of Mitzrayim, of the Mitzri culture? So Kosh Baruch said to Moshe, you want to know the answer? It's because they're standing on holy ground. That yes, in economy, things have been bad. Last couple hundred years, lousy, terrible. Spiritually, 49th level of Tumma, things are bad. But every moment, right, they have a chance to do better. Right? Yes, they're oppressed, they're beaten down, they're enslaved, but they can do what, can, what they can, right? And they haven't changed their names, they haven't changed their language, their clothes, right? They're hanging on right, to every vestige right, of hope, right? And uh, and every moment is an opportunity to do better. And that's the Chorah, how, how they've survived until now. And the message from this is, is obvious. You know, the, too often right, we fail to, opportun- to utilize an opportunity, right, just because we're kind of just not living in the moment, right? How often do, like, do we, like, you know, fail to pay attention in either a sheer or whatever? We're thinking, we're thinking about a game or a date or something that happened or something that will happen. Right? Again, we, 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 we don't give our kids the proper attention because we're thinking about this, we got to do that, and this job and that job, we got to buy this and got to get that. And, and again, obviously, now it takes a tremendous amount of skill. Right, again, it's not something that comes naturally. It's something you have to train yourself uh, to do. But if a person is able to truly live in the moment, right, to train themselves and live in the moment, so then you can really, truly accomplish uh, great things because before you turn around, right, you've had many, many great moments in a row, right, and then you've already, uh, and you've already uh, accomplished great things. Um, now, okay, just switching gears a little bit, 
Switching gears a little bit, Puzzik says, again, uh, talking uh, Perik Bay, the beginning of Perik Bay's when introducing Moshe Rabbeinu. So uh, the Torah says very cryptically, it says, uh, starting the Moshe story, it says, Right, random, right? Some some Levi guy went and took a Levi girl, whatever that means. So Rashi famously explains the whole backstory. It's a Gemara in, uh, in Sota, in Dafyud Beis, right? That uh, the Torah is hinting to what was going on behind the scenes between Amram uh, and Yocheved uh, and, and Miriam, right? Amram and Yocheved and Miriam. What happened? Paro decrees uh, to kill all the boys, right? Again, throw all the boys in the river. And Amram, who's one of the Godolador, says, all right, everybody, right? Amram, he's, he divorces his wife. He's like, forget it. What am, what's the point? What's the point of having kids? Right? So he divorces his wife. And obviously, being one of the leaders, everybody or many uh, Jews follow his example. And Miriam, right, who, who was very, right, uh, you know, one of the un, unsung heroes, perhaps, or maybe it is sung properly, I don't know, but one of the unsung heroes of the parsha, goes to her father and says, "What's going on over here? Your your decree is worse than Paro's. Right? Paro decreed uh, on the males, on the boys, and you decreed death on boys and girls because not going to be any kids born now. Right? Paro decreed." An olam haza in this world, and you're decreeing an olam haba because now again you're not going to have any uh, any kids born, right? Uh, nothing. So you know what are you doing over here? So Amram realized that his daughter was right, right? So he went and vayelech he went and vayikach and he took his boss Levi, his wife, right? He took his wife uh, again. Now there are many, obviously, there are a lot of Torah talk, you know, revolving around this pasuk, and obviously the commentary is all over. I discuss it at length, but just one of one of the words, uh, just to just to highlight one thing in that pasuk. Right, the, what's the purpose of the vayelech? What's what what is vayelech? Where, where did Amram go exactly? Right, you could have just said vayikach Amram as as Yochavet or vayikach Ish as as me base Levi as Bas Levi. Right? What do you mean vayelech? What do you mean he went and he took her? So uh, simple pshat. Ibn Ezra takes the not to say lashon hara, but Ibn Ezra, but he takes the easy way out, and he says he traveled from one city to the next. Ramban, the Ramban says, what in the why in the world would the Torah tell us that? So the Ramban explains a bit deeper that whenever the Torah uses the word vayelech or the word lech halach, right? He traveled, he went. He, it's trying to connote something that's difficult, something that's hard to do, something that's going, someone who's going above and beyond. They're putting in extra effort to accomplish something. And it was it was probably difficult for Amram to remarry Yocheved, right? Again, there's, you know, a solid possibility that some of their children would be, you know, thrown into the river. And sure enough, you know, Moshe is born. And, you know, before he gets thrown, they put him in voluntarily. But he was able to do it to overcome whatever, you know, pressure and, and admitting he was wrong, et cetera, et cetera, because it was the right, the right thing to do. Um, now, interestingly enough, Rishmuel Golden points out, that uh, this is not the only Vayelech in Moshe's life. Right? Moshe's life also ends with Vayelech. Right? Again, the Parsha's Vayelech right, is, is Vayelech Moshe. That's the end of the Parsha. That's the day Moshe died. So Moshe's life is bracketed right, by Vayelech. Right? His, his, his beginning of his life is Vayelech, and the end of his life is Vayelech. And he points out, interestingly enough, that Avram Avinu right, also had the word Lech, right? Lech Lecha, right? That he said he has that twice. First by beginning his career as one of the Avos, when he had to travel to Israel, and then Lech Lecha again by the Akedah. Avram also, right? He had, he had Lech Lecha, right? Hashem, uh, Hashem told him twice, and that's the same word. But, says Rishmol Golden, very, very, very well pointed out, there are two differences between Vayelech, Vayelech Moshe, and Lech Lecha. Lech lecha is first of all, it's, this is clearly lecha, right? It's for you, right? And it's very. Uh, Kosh Baruch was stating the obvious, right? That it will be, 
uh, it will be good for you, right? And uh, and it's and lech, it's command, right? Lech is a command, not a verb. Vayelech is a verb. Moshe did, right? Lech lecha is a command, right? To an individual. So said of Shmuel Golden that during the time of the Avos, during Bracious, which we just finished, right, Jewish destiny is shaped and helped by Kosh Baruch. Kosh Baruch gave the instructions, right? He spoke to Avram, Lech Lecha, Bris Mila, etc. Right? He told Yitzchak not to leave Eretz Israel. He told Yaakov, go down to Mitzrayim, I'll take care of you, etc. Right? That's that's the safer of the Avos. That's, again, when Judaism was confined to like a couple of households and a couple of individuals, that Kosh Baruch is 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 fully fully uh, invested guiding things along but when it comes to time for nationhood right when b'nai israel already are millions of people big right kosh baruch Hu turns it over to each and every one of us right man needs to take the initiative right kosh baruch Hu is ready willing to help right to do you know 99 percent of the effort we always talk about or we do the shtados by parnasa for example and the kosh baruch Hu gives us the bracha okay but we have to take the first step and this is what Moshe did. This is Moshe's life is bracketed by Vayelech, that he took a first step. Okay, Amram, his father, right, took a first step, right, did something that was probably difficult. Uh, and that by the end of his life, right, Pasha Vayelech, right, Moshe had Vayelech Moshe, right, he had lived a life of taking initiative uh, and doing things, right? Again, I, I like to quote very often the Medrash that I heard from Rav Chagai Raviv, that the Medrash at the end of uh, the Torah says that Moshe, the Malchamalis looked for Moshe, couldn't find him. Hey, he looked for Moshe in, in Egypt, couldn't find him. Looked him for, by Yamsuf, couldn't find him. Looked for him by Harsina, couldn't find him. Finally, Malach says to Kosh Baruch Hu, I, I can't find him, you take him. Now, what, what's that Medrash trying to do, tell us? Right? Pazik says that Kosh Baruch Hu, right, took Moshe with Nishika, right, the same Misa that, that Aaron had. So the Medrash is trying to say that Moshe never settled. Uh, explained that Moshe never settled. He was always traveling. He was always accomplishing. He could have very easily rested on his laurels, doing all the miracles that he did in Egypt. He could have just called it a career and then and it'd be done. But Moshe always was Vayelech. He was always traveling. Right? He was always accomplishing. He was always moving to the next step. And this idea that Akash Baruch was ready and willing to help us, right? even though, but we have to take the first step, right? that's an underlying theme in the Parsha and also right, the next few Parshas. Right, just to give a couple examples, right? As Kosh Baruch Hu, right, begins the redemption, Torah tells us, right, right they, 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 they struggled under the weight right, of the work, right, and they cried out, right, their, their prayers came to Kosh Baruch Hu, right, he heard, right, their tefillos, right, Again, Akosh Baruch Hu, it, it's almost almost very random set of sukkim that we don't almost don't need, right? The puzzle says Vayede Elukim, and God knew, God saw, and He remembered the bris. Well, what's going on over here? It's almost trying to highlight that when did Hashem Vayishma Vayar Vayeda when Vayiskor? What does it mean? All, all those verbs that Akosh Baruch Hu did, whatever that means. What did that get kickstarted for? That kick gets kickstarted by the Vayizaku that Bnei Yisrael cried out. Vatal Shavas Shavasam El Hashem. Right, that their cry, their cries reached the reached the Kosh Baruch Hu, But the first thing they did was cry out, and only then, Vayizgor, Vayishma, Kosh Baruch Hu, right, Vayeda, right, started the whole redemption pro- process. Similarly, we didn't really point this out, but by the burning bush, right, the Puzik says, right, Moshe says, let me, what's going on with this bush? And then the Puzik says something fascinating, which I didn't, I don't, I'm not sure if I mentioned before. It says, Vayar Hashem Kisar Liros, that Hashem saw. That Moshe turned to see, and then Vayikra Elav Elokim Hashem saw that Moshe turned to see, and then he called out to him, implying that if Moshe had been like, "Whoa, that's a really weird thing. That bush is not being burned," and then carried on his way, Hashem would not have reached out to him. 
again, I don't know if that's true, but it seems to imply that from the Psukim. It seems that Vayar Hashem Kisar Liros. Hashem saw that Moshe turned to see what was going on, and only then Vayikra Hashem loved, and Hashem called out to him. Same thing by Basparo. Basparo, we know that she finds Moshe floating in the Nile. Right, and we know that right? she stuck out her arms. We know that Hashem, the Marashi quotes a famous Madras that, that uh, her arms lengthened to reach Moshe Rabbeinu. But it's not that like Hashem blew the tide uh, and the waves and Moshe ended up right, right by her feet. No, she stuck her arms out. Now, if she had to have her arms extend to reach Moshe in the Teva, obviously, by sticking her arms out, she didn't actually think she could get there. And obviously, there needed a nace for her to reach it. She probably stuck her arms out without much hope. But she did the first step, and of course, did the nace. And by the in the next couple of partials, you see that by the plagues, right? Every time the plague has to be brought, Moshe and Aaron do some sort of action. They stretch their hand out. They hit the ground. They throw ashes into the sky. Whatever. There's always some sort of action. Right? By Yamsof, Moshe stretches his staff out. But Israel, we have to do some sort of action. And then, of course, Baruch will do. Right, even the greatest of miracles. Right, Coach Baruch could have done this, the Nisim, the Makos, without us. What did Moshe need to hit the ground for? But well, we see this message throughout the entire birth of our of the nation right, that Hashem is ready to help us, but right, we have to hold. We have to do the first step. We have to do the one percent, and then Coach Baruch right, will do the ninety nine percent. And again, if we if we internalize this idea, we've been talking about it for months. But that we put in the effort, we do our Ishtalus, and the Coach Baruch takes it. Right, the rest of the way, right, and uh, and when a person realizes this, so then a person's weight is lifted off their shoulders, right. There's no fear of failure, of not being good enough, of not accomplishing or whatever. Right, we're all charged, right, with putting our ishtalus. My gosh, Baruch takes out the rest of it. Right, whatever the result of our ishtalus is, it's up to Hashem. So the stress lifts, right. The stress, the stress lifts, uh, and we don't have to deal uh, with any of the pressure. Right? We do. We put in our effort, and the gosh, Baruch will take care of it. Okay, just very quickly, one more last uh, last vort. Uh, again, uh, as I mentioned, Miriam, kind of one of the unsung heroes of the Parsha, right? Bear Miriam, we gotta we gotta talk about Miriam a little bit. Uh, again, we mentioned that Kamar and Sota about Amram divorcing Yochavit, right? Okay, she okay. She, Miriam also follows Moshe down to the river. Right? The Pesach says that that uh, Leida Ma Yesof Nu. Uh, the Medr- the Gemara says the Gemara there says that Leida Ma Tiesof Nuvosa that uh, Miriam went down. Uh, to the river to see what would happen with Moshe, to see what would happen with her nevuah. Why? Because ne- she had a nevuah. That's why the Gemara proves that she was one of the prophetesses. That she had a nevuah. That her brother, that her mother, would give birth to the goal, the goal, the goal, uh, the goal Yisrael. That her brother would be the redeemer. And uh, she wanted to know what would happen because she thought that this was it. it says the Chavetz Chaim, hey, Miriam had the amuna that Moshe would be saved. She just didn't know how it would go down. Right. So she waited to see what would happen. Now, again, you have to think about this in, in practical terms, if it was happening in real life. The baby's life is in danger, right? Things are so bleak that the mother has to put the kid in a basket in the Nile River. That is basically throwing it away, right? That's, it's, to use a modern comp, it's like taking a baby and dropping it in a garbage can, right? That's, uh, that, for all intents and purposes, the Nile River, where all the mystery are, I mean, that's, that's throwing a baby away. But Mary Mezimuna and and everything will be okay. And even when the salvation comes, right? What happened? How does the salvation come? Bas Paro, the daughter of the king who's trying to kill all the Jews, shows up. I'm sure Miriam at that point was like, oh man, there's no way she, I mean, what, that looked terrible. It looked like it was a disaster. Right? How, there's no way, no point that it looked like that was going to be the salvation, and yet it came from the most unlikely of sources. I mean, if you objectively saw Paro's daughter coming toward the basket, right, you thought it was the end. 
Um, so, but she had a moon that comes to the tova, and that, sure enough, obviously was a salvation. Which says the Chavetz Chaim, which goes to show in our lives, right, when we're waiting for some sort of salvation from something, some sort of Yeshua, some sort of help for things to get better, for whatever it is, it's up to us to have a moon bitachon in every situation, even the ones that look like it's going to be a disaster, because it could very well be. Right, that this is exactly what this, you know, the Yeshua uh, and the Tzlacha that Akash Baruch Hu is sending. Rav Melech Biederman quotes in the name of Rav Nosson Meir Wachtfog, who was Mashkech of Lakewood, who passed away a bunch of years ago. He also quotes the Chavetz Chaim. He says, when, you know, there's a question, the Gemara says, that when a person passes away, or at the end of 120, uh, is going to say, Hashem is going to ask him, Tzipisa the Yeshua. Did you look forward, right, did you look ahead to the Yeshua, to the salvation? And we always assume that that means... Mashiach, did you look forward to Mashiach? Did you daven for Mashiach? So Chavetz Chaim says it's also in, it's also in your own life, right? In Olam Hazer, right? Did you look to Akash Baruch Hu for salvation, right? Did you await? Did you daven? Did you await the Yeshua that Akash Baruch Hu is going to send? Did it tzipita the Yeshua in this world, right? Or did you get depressed and dejected and lose all hope? Right? That's the job of a Jew. No matter what, no matter what scenario, how bad it is, how tough things are, whether it's shiduchim or job hunting or school or whatever it is, friends. Whatever it is, socially, whatever it is, a Jew has to look to Akash Baruch Hu and trust in his plan right, to help them grow and accomplish no matter what, even if it seems like the most unconventional uh, salvation, the un- most unconventional Yeshua right, is coming. All right, I hope uh, everybody has a tremendous tremendous Shabbos, uh, and uh, we'll speak next week. Mitzvah Shem, we'll see you guys soon.